Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Old Gods of Appalachia is a horror anthology podcast and therefore may contain material not suitable for all audiences. So listener discretion is advised. The man in the suit looked down into the devil's cradle and watched the county deputy, one Eustace Caudle, as he sat reading his newspaper for the fourth time, trying to stay awake and keep watch as the sheriff had ordered. The man smiled and raised a single finger. Eustace yawned like a bobcat trying to swallow a pumpkin. The deputy shook his head and tried to clear it, and he put his newspaper and flashlight down and took out his thermos, knowing that another stiff cup of his wife's excellent coffee would do him just right. The man in the suit, some thirty yards into the tree line, held up a second finger and then a third. The thermos sloshed to the floor, unopened. His deputy Coddle slumped over, dead asleep, already snoring to beat the metaphorical band. Now, the man in the suit had planned on drawing that out for a few more minutes, but he couldn't have the officer open his thermos and spill hot coffee everywhere. That, that would have just been cruel and unnecessary. Moving with the unpracticed silence the young deer used to avoid drawing the attention of a predator, the man in the suit walked out of the woods and down into the devil's cradle. He moved among the simple bunkhouses and sheds, locked and barred doors yielding to his practiced hands until he reached the sturdy cabin that had been Granny Ambergie's humble abode. Its door was 
not. It had crumbled to a soft pulp as if months of rotten decay had eaten it away while its frame stood as stout and strong as the rest of the building. The girl then, huh, it had begun. With Granny passed on, all the gifts, curses, powers, and manifestations bound within the children of the devil's cradle were slowly unlocking themselves. There's no time to lose. He moved into the cozy cabin and summarily tossed the place, dumping out bookshelves, shaking out baskets, trying to loose floorboards or other traditional hidey holes, came up empty-handed each time. The book was gone. He'd heard from one of the boys who knew his boy that one of the things the older youngins had made off with was a big old book. Granny Amberg had all manner of books and all manner of subjects, so he hoped it wasn't the book. But wishing one hand and, well, you know how that goes. Would they understand it if they read it? The girl probably wouldn't know exactly what she was looking at, but the boy might and that could become a problem. From what his sources closer to Greta Ambergie had told him, the boy had been asking about where he come from, who his people were. He would be the one with the most questions. Hell, all orphans had questions, and this boy was a very specific kind of orphan, which is to say the kind that still had parents that had been looking for him for years, and the boy might not know that. But he figured the young feller had figured out he wasn't exactly like the rest of the misfits and little lost lambs taken in by Granny Ambergy and company. Questions were fine, though. The boy just needed the right hand to guide him to the proper answers. That was all. He could track the boy easy enough if he wanted to. If the sheriff and the bank were still watching the property, they at least thought the older kids could still be in the area or at the very least might come back and try to steal stuff. They wouldn't, though. If they had the book, they'd have a whole mess of places to call on and there wasn't nothing left for them here no how. With Greta dead, the place felt like an old abandoned farm more than it did anything that had ever been a home. The man in the suit heaved a mighty sigh and made his way back to the tree line. Now this could still work out in his favor. There'd be bridges to burn and creeks to cross, but what else was new? Right now he needed to get ahead of them while they were still unlocking the book's secrets. He took one last look back toward the farm and snapped his fingers. Down in the cradle, Eustace Cottle sputtered awake and wondered why his good thermos was down in the floorboard of his patrol car. Well, thank goodness none of it spilled. Sheriff Bowen would tan his hide if he made a mess in the county's new vehicle. Deputy Cottle never even glanced toward the tree line, where he would have seen a stranger watching from above, pleased with his work. Said stranger straightened his tie, made sure his wallet and watch were just where he needed them. And in that same unhurried, unpracticed silence, vanished into the deep Kentucky night and was gone.
sun Something way my way goes And treads off my friend Into the shadows Where the old ones roam Rachel and Skeeter had not tarried long at Butcher's Rock that first night. When Rachel led him back to their hideout, Jonah found that the girl and the smaller boy had packed up all their worldly goods, including the canned beans, sardines, saltines, and a few jars of Granny Ambergie's pickled beets that had been in the stash at the rock and were ready to set out. The Butcher's Rock was the furthest Jonah had ever been from Granny's farm on foot. He'd never been out in the world without Granny Amberger or her helpers watching over him and the others. He'd come to the farm before he could remember anything else. The days of his early childhood spun in his memory. A kaleidoscope of blurred images, faces, and places that he could never quite seem to get a grasp on. Yes, family, memories fade and distort and shift as we get older, but... Jonah's memories leapt through time as though they'd been cut and pasted together like pictures in a collage. One moment, he was a toddler splashing in the creek with Miss Laura and the other small ones, and the next, he had a broom in his hand and was old enough to help Miss June sweep the kitchen. He remembered being given a Bible by Pastor Kendall and suddenly found himself at the age of accountability. But there didn't seem to be any time between these memories. It was like he'd been through childhood, and now here he stood with enough sweat to smell funky and a lot of unanswered questions. Like, who taught him to read? Jonah had no memory of ever learning his letters. Words just showed themselves to him one day. Who taught him to speak? Who told him not to touch the stove when it was hot? These were all things that seemed to spring fully formed into his mind. Like his own name. Jojo. Then Jonah. No last name. Though that part wasn't that unusual around Granny's farm. Youngins that come from nowhere as babies could either take the name of the family raising them or none, as they chose. Jonah glanced over at Skeeter. He'd never heard anyone call the other boy anything but Skeeter and the way he carried himself and sort of a spooky quietude. He doubted anyone ever would. Rachel, on the other hand, had claimed a dozen different last names. When he'd met her when she'd come to the farm, she said her name was Rachel Fairchild, like out of them old books that taught you manners and whatnot. Then a month later, she said her name was Rachel Harlow, like the movie star. Mama changed our last name all the time, she told him. One day when they'd been down by East Creek looking for lizards... Our true names are secrets held in the vault of our souls, only to be spoken when the roll is called on that glorious day. Rachel had recited this with all the sincerity of somebody who never believed in Sunday school in the first place. You can pick your own name whenever you want, really. 
She was quiet for a long moment as she crept along the water's edge, eyes on the lookout for lizards to capture, and then went on. We was on the run most of the time is what it really was. Church business. Mama had this habit of being super on fire for her God. So much that she'd burn the whole meeting house down with her spirit. She did not believe in half measures. Rachel nodded sagely. Jonah wasn't sure what to make all that. Now, he'd been taken to church a bunch of times growing up. Churches liked doing things for orphans on the holidays, especially if they could make a show of it. Maybe get the pastor's picture in the paper. Now, they might lift both hands and speak in tongues at the Hazard Living Waters Church of the Lord God's Victory, but he never heard nobody having to go on the run from Jesus. And Jonah was about to say just that when he saw something in the water that stopped him in his tracks. He almost couldn't believe his eyes as what had to be the biggest lizard he ever seen slid into view a little bit further out into the running stream. He had to squint to even see it. Its strange markings blended into the rocks and silt almost as if it was part of them. The lizard had to be a foot and a half long, with a wide head like a tiny dragon, a monster cast in miniature. He couldn't look away. He slowed his step and reached for his shoes, ready to wade further into the creek to investigate when Rachel grabbed his arm. Don't go after that one, Jojo. That's a hellbender. Ugly as sin and bad luck if you catch him. Ain't a soul alive wants a hellbender. Jonah watched as the giant salamander disappeared beneath some rocks with a flourish of its long tail. Well, he's come to the right place if he wants to live amongst folks nobody else wants. Jonah said with a laugh he didn't quite feel. Hey, there's your last name, Jojo. Jonah Hellbender. (laughs) They'd laughed, and Rachel had called him Little Lord Hellbender for the rest of the day. Until Granny had told her to stop unless she wanted to do an extra week of dishes on the chore rotation for saying H-E-double-L at the dinner table. That day felt like a lifetime ago as Jonah and his friends hiked through the woods, making their way deeper into the shadow of Lost Mountain. Skeeter walked in the lead, the oncoming twilight proving no hindrance to either his movement or vision. Of the three of them, Skeeter had been off the farm the most since his arrival. Other children had gossiped that the dark-skinned boy didn't stay in bed at night that he moved like a whisper of smoke through the trees and ranged far out into the woods. Eddie Feltner said he was out at the rock with Joanne Hale late one night, getting up to some uh, devil's business, when they started to feel like somebody was watching them. They looked all around the rock and into the thick brush nearby and found no one. Then Joanne happened to look up. Sure enough, there was Skeeter, perched in a tree and gazing down at the two of them like a screech owl watching a pair of plump field mice. He didn't even seem to breathe. Just stared down at him with those glossy dark eyes, the mess of his flat black hair hanging down, hiding the rest of his face. There was something hungry in that look, Joanne had said. She screamed and Eddie threw a rock at him and Skeeter just vanished higher up into the trees, like some kind of night critter. 
Fetty Feltner had gathered up his courage to say boo to Skeeter after that. Joan had never heard of it. Now Skeeter led them confidently through the gathering dark, up around the side of the hill and into the mouth of a shallow cave. There wasn't much to it, but it would keep any rain off of them and shield them from any prying eyes. Rachel produced a small lantern from her pack and primed it to life. A wan, flickering light grew into a warm glow as the humid breath of a Kentucky midsummer night stuck to their skins like a second sheen of sweat. After a few minutes of arranging their gear and settling in, the three folk had made a right cozy little camp for themselves in the modest hole in the side of the mountain. So let's hear it, Jonah, Rachel demanded, her face lit with a grin. You went through all the trouble of hauling it all the way here. What does the good book have to say? Skeeter scowled and shook his head. No more Bible stories. Hurts, he muttered. Jonah pulled the heavy tome from his pack and then settled himself on the floor of the cave with the book resting on his crossed legs, angled so they could all see the cover. Ain't no Bible stories in here, Skeets. Well, there is, but that's not what we're after. Granny Amberge's Bible was an impressive-looking thing, or at least it had been at one time. Bound white leather with a huge ornate gold cross embossed onto the front of it. Now the leather was scuffed and stained, the gilt cross flaking at the edges. Tattered ribbons in countless colors protruded from the bottom marking Granny's favorite passages. Faded gold filigree trimmed the edges of the front cover and worked its way in neat squares around the spine. The whole affair was bound shut with a thick strip of belt leather that fastened with a simple turning knob that locked the strap in place. I, I ain't even rightly sure it is a Bible. It doesn't say the Holy Bible on it anywhere. And I've seen things in it over Granny's shoulder that weren't no Bible I ever seen. Plus, I... I've never seen a Bible that you lock. I've been trying to get this knob to turn for the past hour, but it ain't come loose yet. I don't know if there's a certain way you've got to push it, but I guess we can cut it off if we have to. I can probably help with that, Rachel said, and she extended a single finger toward the lock on the front of the book. It worked with Granny's store, didn't it? Jonah grabbed her wrist before she could touch it. No! Uh, no offense, Rach, but... I don't think you meant to do that to Granny's door. And I, I don't know that you could do it again and just do the lock. We can't risk you turning this whole book into mulch. Rachel scowled at him, but couldn't disagree. Before she or Jonah could say another word, Skeeter snatched the book up and stood. Holding it out at arm's length, he stared down at the gold cross and the worn illumination that wound itself around the overstuffed volume and glowered. Hate etched into his face, tears glinting in the corner of his eyes. Granny's dead. Why would we need her book? Should burn it, throw it away. Whoa, Skeeter, calm down. What's gotten into you? Worse said that Granny's... that Granny's gone too. She was real good to us. Why would you want to burn her book? Jonah rose slowly to his feet, preparing to take the book back by force if he had to. Skates? 
That book has information about all of us in there, about our people. It's everything she never told us about ourselves and what's out there for us. Y'all might know where you come from, but I don't. I want, no, I need to open that book and know what's inside. Skeeter shook his head. His eyes were huge and black. Tears streamed down his grimy face in the lantern light. I I do not want to open it, he said in a quiet, choked voice. With a soft click, the knob holding the book shut turned of its own accord, and the volume began to change. The white leather seemed to char and darken. The cross and gold filigree vanished, revealing the deep, burnt brown cover of a hide-bound book that seemed to grow hot in the smaller boy's hands. Skeeter gasped and dropped it, and the book fell open on the floor of the cave. Before their eyes, the thin pages of scripture with their spidery notation changed as well. Chapters and verses became maps and legends. New pages seemed to grow under the translucent onion skin of the King James. Pages written on parchment and rag cotton, some even on tanned hide or skin. As its spine struck the ground, some of the new pages had torn loose and unfolded, revealing drawings of nigh unspeakable horrors. Commentary about the monstrous beasts had been scribbled into the margins. A picture of an old bridge labeled simply Josephine, with directions from the farm to it loomed large on the page the book had fallen open to. On the opposite page was a drawing of what ostensibly was a person, but with far too many arms and a face like a screaming nightmare. Packets of loose pages stuffed into envelopes poked out here and there. Children's names written on each in different handwriting and colors of ink. Some names had been struck through in black ink, others with a piercing slash of scarlet. Jonah knelt to examine decades, hell, maybe centuries of accumulated knowledge now spread across the floor of this dirty old cave. Whatever binding held the book's secrets in check had been broken, and the truth about the farm and the devil's cradle lay bare before the eyes of the last children to ever call it home. Sun sink and 
Welcome to this, the next step of the journey of our young friend Jonah Hellbender as he and his friends try to reconnect with who they might have been before they ended up out in the devil's cradle. Now, if you don't know what a hellbender is, that is not some fantastical lizard that crawled out of our evil heads. Go right now and Google Eastern Hellbender. I'll wait. Yeah, now you know. <laughs> it's one of the largest types of salamanders in the world, and they live all over our part of Appalachia, and they aren't bad luck. In fact, if you've got hellbenders around, that water's probably real clean because that's the type of environment they need to survive. And we got three episodes left in the season, y'all, and big lizards are the least of what's coming down the pipe. Trust me on that one. I want to take a moment to thank everybody who's voted for us in this year's Audioverse Awards. Old Gods of Appalachia and Black Mouth Dog racked up over 30 nominations between them. We appreciate the love y'all show us every year at awards time. Now, if you really want to show us love, head on over to oldgodsofappalachia.com, complete your social media ritual, follow us on all the services made available to you there. If you want to show your devotion, then you can join the congregation over at Patreon, where there is a treasure trove of additional content, and we'll be announcing a brand new Patreon miniseries that'll be coming in between seasons three and four real soon. This is your Every Time We See You Out in the Graveyard reminder that Old Gods of Appalachia is a production of Deep Nerd Media distributed by Rusty Quill. Today's story was written and performed by Steve Shell and edited by Cam Collins. Our intro music is by Brother Landon Blood, and the outro music for this arc is by Brother John Charles Dwyer, whose song, Panthers on the Mountainside, is now available over on our Bandcamp, oldgodsofappalachia.bandcamp.com. The voice of Rachel was Sarah Doreen McPhee. Talk to you soon, family. Talk to you real soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.